Um, Mark chapter 1, verses 16. Oh, 2, 2, verse 12. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who, had, who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teacher, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her, helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. So many gathered that so many so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, 
they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Shall we pray? Father, we do uh, want to uh, come before you now, and we want to ask that uh, by your spirit that uh, you would be taking your word and you would helping us, help us to think through more of who Jesus is, that uh, we would live lives of, uh, uh, of following him. We pray also for the children in Sunday school. We pray the same things for them. We pray that uh, as the, uh, the word of the gospel is implanted in their minds and their hearts, that it would find fertile soil and would grow and bear much fruit in their lives. And so we ask these things for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you glad that it's Christmas time? <clears throat> you know, not everyone's exactly thrilled that it is Christmas. I've noticed uh, this year that there's been some uh, advertising campaigns that want to kind of dump Jesus out of Christmas. Uh, some have been very obvious. For example, uh, in New York City, the hub of people activity is Times Square. Times Square is a very electric kind of place, not just because of the, uh, the neon, but uh, because it's a melting pot, it's all, always full of people and they call it the crossroads of the world. And uh, this year an atheist group has uh, spent $25,000 uh, to have a, a billboard stuck up just above the door to a nightclub in Times Square, which uh, says this. It says, keep the merry, and it's got a picture of Santa, and then it says, but dump the myth. And it's got a picture of Jesus. Keep the merry, but dump. That's pretty in-your-face kind of uh, rejection of Jesus, isn't it? Uh, some of the other campaigns, well, I think they're campaigns, uh, have been a whole lot more subtle than that. Uh, for example, happy holidays, folks. Have you noticed that? <clears throat> my intray on my computer is full of emails this month from companies wishing me a happy holiday season. Uh, mostly they're airlines actually who are kind of hoping that I'll take a holiday and take it with them. But forget Merry Christmas, happy holidays is the way that you're now supposed to greet one another at this time of the year. It's like people are thinking, I know that people are saying, well, you don't want to offend anyone by you know, having Christmas because it's got Christ in it, you know. And it's, it's just like they're saying, well, if you kind of change the language then you can ignore Jesus, you can push him out, you can just sort of hope he'll go away, ignore Jesus and hope he'll disappear. 
off the scene. However, over the past couple of thousand years or so, I reckon that people have found it very hard to ignore Jesus, uh, especially people who were around at the time that Jesus uh, was here on earth. Uh, actually, when Jesus was around, there were plenty of people who would have been much happier uh, if others did ignore Jesus. There were the religious leaders. They were not particularly thrilled about the presence of Jesus. And uh, they were, you know, quite cosy in their comfortable religious status that they had in their society. And when Jesus turned up, they would have been far happier if everyone else had kind of just settled down a little bit and just sort of ignored Jesus or, or written him off uh, as some kind of a myth or a you know, fraud or, or whatever. The problem was that the chances of people ignoring Jesus in the first century were about zero. Very, very slim. Uh, last week, um, you know, when we started looking at Mark's Gospel in Mark chapter 1, uh, we saw that Mark made what I think is the most audacious claim that he could have made about Jesus. Remember what he said about who Jesus was? He introduced Jesus by saying, Jesus Christ, which means Jesus, the anointed one, uh, the son of God, which means God's king. So he introduced Jesus by saying, Jesus, the anointed one, the king of God. And the claim that he's making is that Jesus is the king, Jesus is the ruler of the entire universe. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that you can make a bigger claim about anyone than that. Can you think of something greater that you could say about someone than to say that they're the ruler of the entire... No, you know, that's the... And if you make a claim like that, if you're saying that about someone, then you're either a lunatic uh, or you're some kind of a fraud. Uh, but if it's true, then it's something that you need to back up with some solid evidence. And Mark does not waste much time uh, in his gospel laying out the evidence before us as to who Jesus actually is. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, God's King, the ruler of the entire universe. And uh, if you open up at Mark chapter 1, <clears throat> we see in this passage, that throughout the passage that Alyssa read to us earlier on, that uh, Jesus has authority and that's the thing about kings, isn't it? The thing that makes a king a king is that a king has authority. He has influence. He has power. And Mark here outlines four key areas where Jesus displayed his authority right at the very beginning of his ministry. First of all, Mark shows us that Jesus had authority over men. Uh, now, you see that in verses 16 uh, through to 20. Um, Jesus was baptised by John down in the south in Judea, but he travelled up north to, uh, to Galilee, which is where Jesus himself was from, and he went to the Sea of Galilee. Actually, uh, they say the Sea of Galilee is not really much of a sea. Uh, it's more like a lake. Uh, it's about um, 20 kilometres long and it's about um, 14 kilometres wide. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a big lake. And there he met two sets of brothers. Um, first of all, he met up with Simon, who later became Peter, and his brother Andrew. And then he met up with James and John, uh, who were the sons of Zebedee. Okay, you know these guys. And uh, 
these, these, these men, they're just going about doing their daily work, and their daily work, of course, was catching fish. They were fishermen. But Jesus told them, he said, look, drop everything. Drop everything. Uh, leave it all behind and come and follow me. It's a big thing, isn't it? A, a few years back, I was having coffee with Ian Brunton. And Ian, uh, as, as you know, owns a fish farm uh, out at Rollins Plains, about 40 k's northwest of Port Macquarie. And we used to get together every week or so and we'd read the Bible and we'd talk theology and we'd <clears throat> pray and we'd talk about life and see how you know, he was getting on with God and so on. And uh, one day he said to me, look, he said, Scott, I've got to tell you this. Uh, I really don't want to spend the rest of my life fishing for fish. Uh, I actually wouldn't mind spending my life fishing for men. You see, God was working in Ian's heart. And what we see here is that uh, God was working in the hearts of these, these four fishermen as well. Uh, there was something about Jesus which they simply could not ignore. Because in verse 18, Mark says that at once, immediately, straight away, without hesitation that Simon and Andrew, they just kind of walked away from their nets and they went and followed Jesus. And the same could be said for James and John in verse 20. But they not only left their job behind and their assets, they also left their father behind so that they could go and follow Jesus and they could become fishers of men. Now, how do you train people to fish? Well, you know... I think the best way of training someone to fish is to, what do you do with them? You take them, you take them fishing, don't you? How do you retrain someone who's been fishing for fish and train them to fish for men? Well, you take them fishing, don't you? And that's what Jesus does because we see here in verse 21 that they went up to Capernaum. So notice it's now the word they, it's not just he. It's they, because he's now got these fisher friends that have come along with him, uh, these disciples, and they went up to, uh, uh, to, to Galilee, uh, to Capernaum rather, which is, by the way, where, the, where these uh, fishermen lived, and they did some fishing. They did some fishing for men around the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you have a look at verses 20, 21 to 28, we see that in the context of them doing some fishing for men, that uh, Jesus showed the authority that he has over evil. Uh, it was Saturday. Uh, they went fishing for men at the local synagogue. And Jesus started to teach the people. Can you imagine that, by the way? Can you imagine if it wasn't me standing here preaching, but it was Jesus here? That would be pretty interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, and it was pretty interesting for the people who were there in the synagogue on that particular day because uh, in verse 22, we'll have a look at verse 22, we can see how they responded, what they thought about it when Jesus was preaching to them. In verse 22, verse 22 give me a moment, it says, The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. Well, I reckon they would be amazed at his teaching, don't you? To have Jesus doing some teaching about God, well, I reckon he'd know his topic. 
because of who he is. Uh, but you see, there's more to it than, than that because what they were amazed was, was that he taught as one who had authority. See, when the other teachers, the other people that would teach for them on a regular basis, um, such as the teachers of the law, the teachers of the Mosaic law, uh, when they taught, they would, they would do so by quoting other rabbis, quoting rabbis who were greater than them, the guys, you know, the greats from the past. So they'd say, you know, on this topic, Rabbi such and such says, says this, and Rabbi so and so, he said that. But uh, when Jesus taught, and we see this throughout the Gospels when we read his teaching, Jesus would often preface what he was about to say by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. Have you noticed that in the Gospels? He doesn't say, Rabbi such and such says so and so. or He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, at that point, he's not being like a teacher of the law, He's not even being like a prophet because a prophet would stand up and say, thus says the Lord. But Jesus says, I say to you. And the people were amazed because if someone actually says that, then they're either incredibly arrogant or they're a deceiver or there is something incredibly special about this person. So what's it going to be for Jesus? Well... We see um, something uh, incredible happens uh, in, the, in that context in the synagogue, um, which means that people just simply cannot ignore Jesus. And you see it in verses 23 to 25. In verse 23, let me read that for you. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. That's interesting, isn't it? He was in their synagogue and he's possessed by an evil spirit. But he cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now, you can understand why we Aussies are a bit sceptical about... Um, uh, evil spirits in the gospel accounts uh, because it's not something which we see very often or even at all. Uh, and uh, some people, you know, they claim that when these accounts of evil spirits in people, uh, they say, well, that's just ancient man's way of explaining certain types of mental illness uh, or epilepsy and so on. But I think if you go to other parts of the world where, um, where false idol worship is more common, then you might actually change your mind on that as you see some of the manifestations uh, in people's lives when people dabble into the occult and into other spiritualities and so on. We don't know this man's background. We don't know why he was in the synagogue, but he is up in Galilee and uh, Galilee uh, is an area which is more... Uh, influenced by uh, Gentile uh, culture and Gentile uh, worship and so on, uh, then down south in Judea. And so maybe there's a, a factor there in terms of this particular guy. And in the uh, Gospel accounts, when per someone is described as being possessed by a demon, guess what? As in the case here, 
the demons actually speak. And as in the case here, the demon, uh, the demons generally, well, I think always, the demons had a much clearer knowledge of who Jesus is than anyone else did. So this demon says, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Other people are still guessing. The disciples are still guessing, but the demons know exactly who he is because guess what? They are in touch. They are part of the spiritual world. The other thing we notice is that when the demons are exorcised, that it is uh, something which is, uh, which, which, which is audible. You know, people experience, people realise it was happening. As in here, when the demon left the man, the demon left with a shriek. Now, I think that would have been a very, very, uh, very scary situation to, uh, to, to be part of. Um, but notice also that when, uh, in verse 24, that when the demon speaks, uh, not only does he know who Jesus is, but he's got a fair idea as to why Jesus has come. He says, have you come to destroy us? Well, guess what? Yes, he has come to destroy you. Uh, you guessed correctly. Sounds like he already knew the answer to that question. And then the spirit shook the man violently and come out with him, come out of him like you know, with this loud shriek. And as I say, I think that would have been frightening. But you know what? The people who were present at the time, uh, they were more amazed not at the evil spirit. Who were they amazed with? They were amazed with Jesus. Because they're standing there watching this thinking, whoa, this guy has actually got power and authority over demons. He doesn't just teach with authority. He only has to speak a word. He doesn't have to do any magical tricks or anything like that. He just needs to directly say a word and evil spirits obey him. You can't ignore Jesus, friends. You can't just shunt him off to the side. You just can't pretend that he doesn't exist. Thirdly, in verses 29 to 44, Jesus has authority over sickness. Now, I know that there are occasionally preachers who will roll into town and, you know, and they'll set up their meetings and they'll claim that they've got authority to, to heal sick people, so come to them and they'll heal you and all that sort of business. And, you know... That's a big topic. Sometimes I just wish, frankly, if they really believed that, that they'd go up to the hospital. You know, the cancer you know, unit, that would be a good place to start, wouldn't it? But you see, Jesus is much different to that. Because in, uh, in the Old Testament, back in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 to 6, Isaiah prophesied that when God comes, uh, you're going to know it. Because guess what? Uh, the, the blind are going to start seeing, the deaf are going to start hearing, the, 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 the mute are going to start being able to, to talk and, the, and, and crippled people, they're going to be leaping around like deers. That's the sign. That's the sign that you know that Messiah has come. Um, earlier on, not in Mark's Gospel, but uh, and the other Gospel writers report for us that uh, before uh, these events happened, uh, when John the Baptist uh, was in prison, that he sent one of his disciples to ask Jesus if Jesus really was the promised one. Now, uh, just come back with me to Matthew chapter 11 for a moment. If you just put a bookmark or 
your service sheet in, in Mark 1. Come back to Matthew 11. I want to show you this because it's, uh, it is important. Um, page 688, uh, Matthew 11, verses 2 to 5. Uh, it's, uh, now, now uh, John is in prison and it says, When John heard in prison that cr- what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now, I don't know why John had those doubts at that time, but that's not the key point I want to make. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. And what does he hear and see? Well, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Um, The Old Testament had said that when you see these things happening, that something big is occurring. And what is occurring is that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is starting to invade the kingdom of the evil one. And the effects of the fall are being reversed because Messiah has arrived. So go back to Mark chapter 1. Uh, Let's just briefly scan these healings. In verse 31, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, well, she had a fever and uh, she was healed by Jesus. Um, They were staying in her place. In verse 32, we're told that the whole town, once they learnt that Jesus was, was healing people, the whole town turned up on the doorstep and they brought with them all of their sick family members and relatives and friends, everyone who was sick, uh, and also the demon-possessed people as well, and so that the sick were healed and the demons were driven out. Uh, then in verse 40, there is a, <clears throat> there is a poor soul, a, a man who was stricken with, with leprosy, uh, which, of course, is just a, a dreadful debilitating, alienating, contagious disease and he was healed by Jesus. Spoke about that on Friday night at Church on the Green. I'll say a few few things about it in a a moment or two as well. But can you imagine what medical science was like in the first century? You know, it barely existed. You know, some oil and some wine. Uh, they, They were the therapies. And disease was rampant. And if a person survived a serious disease, it wasn't because of the skill of the doctors or because of the great hospitals or the pharmaceuticals. No, it was because the disease had run its course. And the person who survived from serious sickness was often, uh, they would often be scarred or crippled, debilitated for the rest of their lives as a result of that. Sicknesses which you and I avoid by simply taking an injection or two were sicknesses that could wipe out an entire community. And that's certainly the case in some parts of the world today. And so that is the context. Sickness was a huge issue. And so you can well imagine as Jesus started healing people that that word was going to spread like wildfire about that. And soon, you know, people would be saying, well, this is a man you can't ignore. And Jesus would be swamped, as indeed he was swamped. Um, We see that in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Um, And here uh, Jesus is at the the home of Simon in Capernaum. 
And the house was packed. It was packed to overflowing. There were people spilling out into the streets. And here, actually, in this case, it was uh, uh, pe- Jesus wasn't focusing on healing. Jesus was uh, teaching people, and people had come to listen to Jesus preach, which was great. There are, there are these four men. And they've got a mate who is paralysed. He needed to be healed. How can they get him in front of Jesus? How can they fight their way through the crowd? Well, you know the story, don't you? It's a great Sunday school story. They took him up on houses, you know, had flat roofs, square houses with flat roofs, and uh, you could sleep up there in the <clears throat> in the winter time, in the summertime, and so on. So they took this man up onto the roof, would have gone up the stairs, carried him up on a stretcher, a mattress, it's or mat, it says. And then they decided to, to bash their way through the, the roof. And uh, I, I just, yeah, you can imagine what that was like, you know, all of the stuff falling down, crumbling down and dust and all the materials just... But it worked and they were able to lower this bloke down into the crowd and there he was right at the feet of Jesus. Incredible. I mean, uh, Jesus... Um, Jesus uh, uh, was very impressed. If you have a look at verse 5, in verse 5, Jesus uh, says uh, to the the man, when he saw his faith, when he saw their faith, that they trusted that Jesus could heal the bloke, says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that is an amazing statement for him to make. Can you imagine what people were thinking. Imagine what the paralysed man was thinking. He might have been thinking, well, thank you very much. I'm very pleased to have my sins forgiven and I'm just wondering if you might heal me of my paralysis as well. That would be really good. I'd love that. What about the teachers of the law? You see, some of them had infiltrated. Some of them had gone there. They wanted to check Jesus out. They wanted to try to trap him and trick him. Well, we don't have to imagine what they thought when they heard Jesus say to the fellow, son, your sins are forgiven, because we're actually told um, what they thought. In verse 7, they thought to themselves, hang on a moment, who does he think he is? I mean, by claiming to forgive sins, what is Jesus saying about himself? Who is it who can forgive sins? There's only one person who can forgive sins. Who's that? God. And so by claiming to forgive sins, Jesus is making a claim about his own identity as God. You see, that's that's blasphemy. And, And they knew that. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus would be a scary guy to hang around because he could read your thoughts. He's omniscient. And he knew, what, he knew what they were thinking. And so this is what he said to them. He says, all right, what is easier to say? Is it easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiven? Well, actually, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Because you can't verify it. There's nothing physical. You can't see their sins being forgiven. So is it easier to say to you, someone, your sins are forgiven? Or... Is it easier to say to a paralysed man who has got no control over his muscles, who's got no control over his body, 
A, a man who, despite what his head, what his brain thinks, what messages his brain sing, sends out, that his body doesn't respond. Is it easier to say to him, all right, get up, stand on your own two feet, pick up your mat and walk off? So what's easier? Oh, Jesus says, I mean, it's obvious what's easier, isn't it? Jesus says, right now, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, and he turns to this crippled bloke, he says, up you get, on your feet, off you go. And as that man stood up and stood on his own two feet, as that man picked up his mat, as that man walked his way through the crowd, out the door, not the roof, but out the door this time, there'd be no one in that room who would be thinking that you can ignore Jesus. be no one in that room thinking that you could ignore his claim to have the authority to be able to forgive sins, something which God alone can do. It's an extraordinary moment. And then, uh, you see, <clears throat> I, I, the very purpose for which God's King came was the forgiveness of sins. And it's, it's, it's interesting when Jesus healed that leper earlier on that, um, <clears throat> you see, leprosy, as I mentioned on Friday night, uh, incredibly contagious disease. Uh, Jews were forbidden from getting within two metres of a person who suffered from leprosy. A person who suffered from leprosy was forced to live outside of the town. A person who suffered from leprosy, if they were walking down the street, they'd have to call out, unclean, unclean, so as to give people fair warning so that they could scat. The law of Moses said that a person who was suffering from leprosy was, was ceremonially unclean. And you ought not to touch a person who's suffering from leprosy. Uh, not only because of its contagion, but also because if you touched a person with leprosy, according to the law of Moses, then you too became unclean. You too would have to go through a purification ritual. And when this poor fellow turns up to Jesus, you know, it's interesting because uh, he's got faith. He trusts that, God, that Jesus can heal him of his leprosy. question mark he's got is whether Jesus is willing to heal him of his leprosy. And given that background, you can understand why. And we're told by Mark that in compassion, with this feeling that comes from his from his heart, what does Jesus do? He does something which he doesn't do for other people that he heals. He actually stretches out his hand, stretches out his arm, and what does he do for the leper? He touched him. He touched him. And in so doing, according to the law of Moses, Jesus became unclean in the sight of God. But that leper was cleansed all the, scores, the, the, the sores and the scars and the, the terrible skin that he had was made clear and pure and beautiful and 
he was able to walk around and the smell of death that was upon him was gone and he says that, Mark says that he was instantly healed. And in that, what we see is a prefiguring of the very reason for which Jesus came. You see, Jesus ultimately did not come to heal people of their sicknesses. Uh, in fact, we see there in verse 38 that uh, when people were, were, were coming after Jesus to be healed of their sicknesses, that what did Jesus do? He left them. He said, I want to go to another town. I want to be able to preach about the kingdom of God. I want to be able to preach and call people back to faith and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, for that is the reason for which he came. And when he reached out and touched that leper, becoming unclean, so that the leper could become clean, what he did is he gave us a prefiguring of the very purpose for which he came the very purpose which would find its fulfilment on the cross of Calvary when he who had no sin became sin for us. When as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so that a transfer and exchange took place. We became clean because he became unclean for us. People try to ignore Jesus. People try to ignore him in different ways. They try to ignore him by caricaturing him as uh, someone who's uh, inoffensive and ineffective and, uh, or they try to swap Jesus around for Santa Claus and say, you know, life's about Santa and gifts and all this sort of business or they try to change the language, you know, have a happy holiday. But you can't ignore Jesus. Jesus is the one man in human history that no one can afford to, to, to ignore. He is the one who has authority over men. He is the one who has authority over evil spirits. He is the one who has the authority to heal. And more than anything else, he is the one who has authority to forgive sins. He has proven that and he has made it, it possible through his death on the cross. So the message I want to leave with you today is don't ignore Jesus. Uh, be like those fishermen who are prepared to drop everything and go and follow him, no matter where it takes you, no matter the cost, because he's the one man you simply cannot ignore. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in your great mercy to us that you uh, sent Messiah to come. We thank you, Father God, that uh, in the ministry and the teaching of Jesus we see the prefiguring of the cross of Christ. We thank you, Father God, that he not only has the authority to forgive sins, but he's the very one whose work on the cross has made that forgiveness possible. Help us to be people who take Jesus seriously. And Father, we pray that many people would look to Jesus and find in him the hope uh, that we have found and follow after him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. I'm going to sing again.